A man become preeminent, he's expected to have enthusiasms. 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 What am I? What draws my admiration? What is that which gives me joy? Baseball. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Welcome back to another episode of the Poe Hitter Podcast. This is Robbie D, the Dead Poe Hitter. You can always catch me on the X Twitter machine at Dead Poe Hitter and the Poe Hitter Pod at Poe Hitter Pod. Don't forget to check out the Patreon as well. Patreon.com, search Poe Hitter Fantasy Baseball. It is also my pinned tweet on Twitter. And it'll take you right to the site. You get a free trial right now for one week to see if you like the content that's being provided, doing play breakdowns, um, access to draft boards, Talking about my draft as well, step-by-step, pick-by-pick, mini-play breakdowns within those draft breakdowns as well. You get access to the Discord, which um, I might be biased, but I think it's the best Discord around. Everyone's chatting, baseball, fantasy baseball, all year round. There's no time off. We have draft boards in there. People are, are talking about their picks and their current drafts. You're getting full player evaluation thoughts right now. And maybe if you're not drafting until February, March, it's still okay. You could, It's still so much knowledge being kicked around there. So come check it out. It's really great. And we're going to do a lot of things this offseason and into the full season as well. On this episode, my good friend Lucas Beery comes to chat about all things fantasy baseball. Lucas just won the NFBC Online Auction Championship, also known as the OLAC. It's an overall format that had 844 participants, and Lucas took it down this year. We talk about that. We talk about some quick player news to start off. The MLB hot stove is burning a little bit. It's a semi-burn, but we still talked about some random little things that were happening, were rumored to be happening to start off. And then we talk about just format strategies from the auction championships, from the main event, that Lucas participated for the first time in. And then we talk about some DC strategies as well. And really good. We went through a lot of stuff. We ended up talking a little bit about some player evaluations and some player spots. Um, Like last year, we had this great ADP range that we were able to nab guys like Bryson Stott, CJ Abrams, Hassan Kim, Isaac Paredes. And we're trying to see what's available in that region now or why uh, patches of pockets of of value seem to shift from year to year it's all based on how people draft and the the market that end up coming from that so we get into that and we also do some player battles uh on for adp currently adp for draft champions and nfc so hope everyone enjoys this episode with lucas beery 
All righty, welcome back to the Pull Hitter Podcast. This is Rob D, the Dead Pull Hitter. Got my good friend and champion, overall champion, must feel good, Lucas Beery. What's going on, my friend? Not too much. Feels great to be on the mic with a legend here, Rob D, the meatball Ooh. himself. And uh, yeah, man, really excited and thrilled and honored to be on with you. So let's let's get it going. Yeah, let's get it going. You're rocking the uh, the old Spurs hat tonight. Um Quick, quick basketball question first. Uh, who, who's your favorite San Antonio Spur ever? Favorite Oof. player? The Admiral? You know, I love Ginobili just because ah, I feel like there's yeah. no players that have ever come like him before with his career arc. And he just, he was arguably at times one of their better, maybe one of their best players. And just, it was such a cool package. I think he influenced the NBA a lot more than people give him credit for. Yeah. Hard, hard, to, hard to say he was ever better than Duncan, but, uh, you know, just love every one of those guys on those teams. And yeah. Even when they had Kawhi Leonard, I mean, they've just had so many different iterations. I, you know, I, I was a big Kobe fan back in the day, so those battles between, like, this boring, mm-hmm. you know, team that <laughs> nobody liked or the Lakers was tough, but, like... You know, all of a sudden, man, Timmy Duncan does it again. He's just so solid. The team is built so good. You got Tony Parker going coast to coast faster than anybody in the league. I miss those games. If it was a di- it was a different brand of basketball, you know. Um, but it was it was so much fun to watch. But um, yeah, so hooking back onto the uh, fantasy baseball side, you um, started a website last year, right? So why don't you tell everyone a little bit about the website that you started up? Oh yeah, absolutely. Um, so I started up uh, a website at dcdynasty.co focused on draft champions leagues and dynasty leagues. And uh, for a few for a few years since about 2018, I had put out different articles or content uh, for for a lot of different great guys, Lenny Melnick, uh, um, Casey Bubba, Doctor Roto, and that was cool. But I just felt like it would be a good idea to take ownership a little bit more over some of my articles. Um, so yeah, I was posting weekly articles um, on draft champions and dynasty throughout last off season, and then shifted to more of a fab column uh, last year. Um, there's a lot of great fab columns, so you know it's tricky to uh, live up to to one like yours or Vlad Settler. But hopefully, I helped some people out along the way throughout the season. So that was nice to get some feedback uh, towards the end of the year. That's awesome, man. It's um it's really cool to venture out into your own. I love it. You know. It's uh, it's freedom. It's, it's the ability to do what you want. That's why I, yes. I, I podcast, you know, because it, it's fun to me to just talk about things I want to talk about and hear people talk about things they want to talk about. And that's exactly what it's for. So cheers to you. I know you do some great work. You had some uh, dynamite $1 ad columns, I remember, in the season. We'll talk about that, the uh, auction stuff in a little bit. But um do you have uh any different ideas this year or did you learn anything along the way about writing and um i think like the biggest thing with with content is sometimes you know when you have to force it out it's like best to just like just take a time out you know and um walk away yeah and like i feel like this season i got so burnt out from just doing this whole different journey down the patreon and doing something every day and um when i stopped and the season ended and i gave myself like a 10 day break to like and just like 
took some walks outside and all this stuff came to me, you know, that I wasn't thinking of prior because now my mind wasn't blocked about the Friday to Sunday lineup and then doing fab and then the Monday lineup, you know, it's just one day, it's just, it's just one thing after another. And I finally had all the creativity that I was thinking about just came to me and it's almost had like a notes uh, section that was just too much and i was like overwhelming myself with all these brand new ideas i had so <laughs> it's um it's definitely it, it's definitely a challenge to try to continue that you know like week in and week out it's um, really tough um, yeah yeah no matter how uh no matter how many ideas or, or how locked in you are there's there's certain moments here and there where it does feel like work even though it's a great hobby and that's when you like you said you have to take a step back you know, talk to your, talk to your grandparents or, you know, go see some friends you haven't seen in a while. And then you come That's right some back to yeah. And, That's uh, some grass. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Exactly. You just, uh, relieve yourself from that, uh, sequence of events for a little bit. So, um, met you down at in first pitch, Arizona and I was, um, was in the safe way with my brother, you know, and I said, man, <laughs> I, you know, Dave, Dave, Dave McDonald, you could notice from 17 aisles away. And I said, immediately I see him, I look over, and I said, man, here's Lucas too, another tall guy. Everybody in the industry is fucking tall, either that or I'm just really short. Um, but I thought it was funny. I screamed out, what's up, meatballs? And like, I see you guys look around. Yeah, who the fuck is saying that, you know? But it was cool to finally meet you and and experience the weekend that is first pitch Arizona. Did you have fun this, this year? Oh yeah, man. It was so much fun. It was great to hang out with you and um, just talk up, you know, a little bit of baseball, a little bit of life and just um, we've known each other yeah. for a long time now. It's yeah. Been, been several years now and um, there's just not enough time in the, in the weekend for first pitch. I, I try to go out there on Wednesday and sometimes stay till Monday, but uh, I think even more time might uh, might be due. Um, my PTO situation is better this year in my second year with my new company. So, yeah, might have to uh, extend that thing out like you did with your bros. Yeah, it's another thing when you just realize that, you know, taking some time out if you could afford to. But even that, just and life is so short. <laughs> It's like when you get out there and you spend some time away and in nice weather and talking to people like you've always talked to, like yourself. We've known each other for so long, like you mentioned, and with with the family. And it's like, man, this is great. And it was just a perfect, uh, perfect week. And to take that extra day or two to do what you got to do, or we drove down to Sedona for a day, you know, it's just, yeah, it's, you're there, you know. And I'm so glad I have my wife there to 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 really you know kind of say hey do you want to go down there and I'm like it took me a while to just like yeah you know what like I, I'm I'm here can't waste <laughs> that opportunity right you know mm -hmm. it's like who knows if you can go back every season but it was definitely a fun time um, it was cool watching the draft going on and just you know t just talking to everyone in the hallways is 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 really like the in between session chat just like the it's kind of like the same thing in Vegas. Or the draft. There's always these in between things, you know, that pop up. Like you think you have some time to just do what you want to do and just, you know, whatever. But there's always something that pops up. There's always someone that wants to chat. You know, um, it's fun stuff. 
Yeah, I uh, I get I got a good amount out of the uh, panels there, but talking to just people, Toby, yourself, uh, you know, getting a chance to just talk to Jeff Zimmerman or, or, you know, I love talking to guys that I never knew before that weekend. I learned plenty from, from all sorts of people there, you know, just talking to them about their leagues. There was Rob, you're going to get a laugh out of this. There was one older gentleman there. I had no idea who he was, but he was hanging out with Kevin Hastings and I just sat down with him and we started <laughs> talking and he goes, I need your, uh, he was talking to Kevin about his dynasty team. And he was like, well, Lucas loves dynasty, you know, show him. So he reaches, he reaches into his back pocket. Now that he was about to pull out his cell phone, this guy had his roster printed out right then and there. He showed me his contracts, no. you know, <laughs> he had some guys on an A contract, some guys on a B and some guys on a C contract. And we sat there and talked to him for an hour or two. And it was, a, it was a blast. So can't recommend that weekend enough. Yeah. Really great time. Um, uh, the welcome event was really awesome, you know, just hanging out in the outfield in that big area. Um, mm -hmm. Good times. It's just uh, <clears throat> totally, totally recommend it to anyone who wants to get out there and just enjoy some beautiful weather, watch some baseball, you know, run some fantasy stuff. Uh, the podcasts are fun. The live podcasts are great. Um, definitely, definitely something to get involved with. And then you got some baseball, some home run derby and all-star game but uh so the winter meetings are going on right now lucas we haven't had anything juicy yet um no otani stuff just quick question i talk about otani pretty much on every single podcast it seems like but what's your thoughts on like how uh, people are, like are upset that he's handling it this way like quietly and they think like it's a ruining a moment for baseball to like i don't know i mean is does it matter how he does it in my mind i think it's ridiculous that people care or think they're going to predict which team he's going to go to or say you know this guy's going to go to this team this guy's it's none of your business it's this yeah. guy's decision it's his career and that's the bottom line so yeah right i i, I kind of agree it's just this is the way he wants to handle it it's just and it's like who cares if we don't know the name of his fucking dog <laughs> doesn't matter you know, um, good for him for being private if he wants to be private. Um, there's a little bit of news of uh, Nick Kroll saying that Jonathan India on the Reds is going to play a little bit of first base, a little bit of DH. There seems to be some confusion uh, about, you know, is there enough playing time for these players out there? You know, last year when they took a chance with Harrison Bader and Hunter Renfro, um, you know, there were some games where Jake Fraley lost some time versus righties, you know, and I think that was a little bit of a failed experiment for them all the way around because Renfro eh, was just terrible. Um, but I think if anything, it's Fraley that's going to lose the most out of this, you know, with, with, with Steer maybe playing a little bit more left field, even versus some righties. Um, but what's your thoughts on here? Are you, are you scared, I guess, the bottom line is, are you scared of anyone's ADP now, like even worse than before? Like a guy like Encarnacion Strand or McLean, do you feel any less certain about their contribution, not only their skills, but their overall, you know, plate appearance-wise? Um, no, not for McLean, since he's a premium up the middle guy. Um, that wouldn't worry me at all. But Encarnacion Strand maybe there's a hint, a hint more risk. 
it was actually rumored that India was going to be moving off the position last winter. Um, mm-hmm. If you would have read the tea leaves on that one. So this shouldn't be too big of a surprise since he's not exactly a great uh, defensive second baseman. Um, you would have hoped he could have held his head above water there for a few years, but um, within Carnacion strand, I do think that it, it could be a little bit of a risk. So I wouldn't overreact to it, but I would certainly consider it. Gotcha. Yeah. I, I'm, I still think that, you know, he started to really find his peak, um, his stride, I, I should say, in, in September. Um, and he showed that he can really have that thump in the middle of a lineup that uh, they, I think they need, per se. You know, I mean, uh, no one's really like this uh, huge home run hitter type in that lineup. He could provide it, you know. Uh, not that you need those type of hitters to succeed as a baseball team, but he does really have that just extreme raw power that, you know, that kind of stands out in that lineup. Um, and Marte, how do you feel about Marte? Um, as far as as far as the kind of more premium guys, not like the Will Bensons, Marte is my favorite of, of all those guys. Certainly it helps that he's the cheapest, but he's he's a multiple paths to value guy. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that prospect fatigue set into him because mm. he was he was a teenage phenom and he gained a little bit of weight, which when I saw him in Arizona, he didn't look bad at all a few years ago. He just looked a little like he had his man muscles, I guess. Um, so, <laughs> so yeah, I think, I think Marte is uh, my favorite of, of all those guys, just because he has that 2020 upside, pretty decent hit tool. And uh, on the left side of the infield, I think he's going to provide value to their club. All right. So, and, and so essentially though, like they're going to find ways to get these guys in the lineup. I think yeah. that's the bottom line, you know, yes. um, the thing that should definitely happen is, you know, there should not be, uh, rolling Tyler Stevenson anymore DH, you know, <laughs> played appearances. So I think, if anything, to me, not that I really was in love with the skill set, even though his hard hit kind of went up uh, this season and his previous stuff. Like, we're kind of waiting for him to, you know, show a little bit more of the raw power in the game. But I think he's going to lose a lot of volume, as he should. But I think overall, this it's really, they're going to find a way to get all these guys into the yes. lineup, you know? Um, I think it's very true. Yeah, these guys almost always manage to get their playing time, even if it's right. not full, full playing time. But they'll—it's not a risk in my mind. Correct. I, I, I'm, I'm right with you there. I think there's been a little bit of an overreaction to that, the news on that. Um, Gary Sanchez rumored to head back to San Diego. I really like Luis Camposano's profile. Do you feel any less uh, certain about him or? You think Sanchez just grabbed some catcher and most of the DH time in San Diego? Because we don't know what the rest of the team's going to look like right now. But if you're drafting right now in draft champions, um, do you you know how do you react to the news for Camposano? At least do you kind of hold him where he is, a little wet, a little, you know, what's the excitement level for him? Um, so I looked for this news before we started because I didn't see it anywhere. Was it official that Sanchez had signed with San Diego? Not official, but rumored that they're they're working rumored. to get him back there. Yep, yeah, because they got hit by a pitch, I think, to end the season. Um, yeah, I put it into, um, I think, one of the docs I had for the Patreon. Just a little, like, mine in the news kind of thing for the winter meetings. And I, uh, MLB Trade Rumors had something that they're working to get him back um, onto the team. Um, they, they like what he brought to the team. 
But let's just say that happens. What do you feel about Camposano? You think he's going to lose uh, too much playing time? I think he would lose some playing time for sure. Yeah. Um, ADP kind of in the in the uh, range here that we had. Um, I had it pulled up here and just clicked off of it. Um, yeah, I I do think that you would have to ding him some ADP of around two hundred for DC mm-hmm. starting on November first. I I would I would drop him a round or two. Um, just because there is that risk that he could lose some at bats um, and catcher is so deep. There's other, there's other options. Um, he is kind of in a, in an area where the catchers fall off though. So yes, right. Um, there is a lull after it. Yep. It is tricky. Yeah. That's right. Um, Cause you got Stevenson in that two thirty area. You got Mitch Garver um, around two ten, and and, and then Jeffers and uh, Danny Jansen behind Stevenson um, in the 250-ish. Oh, and, and Elias Diaz. So, um, yeah. yeah, I think he I, should generally fall down into this range with these guys. I think that makes sense. Yeah, I would be more likely to just hang out and grab one of Jeffers or Jansen, um, kind of the per-plate appearance power guys. Love those guys. on a per- Yeah, yeah, I'm definitely down with that. Um, news from the Pirates out, and it wasn't just from the other day. This was rumored earlier uh, a couple of weeks ago as well about Henry Davis coming in to spring training, getting ready to catch, um, and be a catcher. I guess what's the reaction for him and both Andy Rodriguez? Do you think this is straight, you know, manager and general manager talk, or do you think there's um just kind of I don't know just throwing it out there to the public. No, the way that they've handled Henry Davis's promotion to the major leagues being that he was a one, one overall pick is, is kind of weird. A yes. catching prospect that they're just going to put into a corner outfield position. It, it, it felt a little weird to me, but um, you know, they kind of just wanted to get his, his power into the lineup and allow him to, to hit at the major league level without having to worry about the defensive issues and it felt like it was too early to move him off the position so i did feel like he was going to regain that catcher eligibility for fantasy baseball um so i think he'll get that hopefully within the first month of the year um and as far as indy rodriguez coming up throughout the minors he was billed for his defensive versatility he can play different spots in the infield such as second base he played a little bit of first base in the big leagues last year um and obviously no team uses these guys for 150 games outside of Kansas city and Sal Perez. But uh, no, uh, I, I think they'll, I think they'll mix and match in and out of the lineup. Uh, Indy can play some infield and Henry Davis can either DH a little bit or, or step back into the outfield. Interesting. Interesting. I, 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 I have several, like not to, I have a decent amount of Indy shares as a late round catcher, maybe one in a DC and a couple in a gladiator. Um, so let's that that's all. I hope he doesn't lose too much volume because I I think this it is a solid skill set. I I think both of them have a lot of good things brewing for them. I think um, I think for Henry Davis too that you know I think what he showed may not look great on the surface, but there's some under the um, under the hood stuff that I I think that will translate really well once he finds his groove first you know first taste in the major leagues like you said he's been kind of jerked around but that hard hit stuff is really there and i do like that he pulls the ball mm-hmm. in in the air really really well and really effectively and i think that'll be um i think that'll be good for him going forward 
I, th- I, don't, I wouldn't worry hardly at all about either of these players playing time because this roster is not good enough for them to <laughs> not get it. Right. I mean, they're, they're, they're on the rise a little bit with, with an O'Neill cruise, hopefully for a full year Reynolds Hayes, they've got a few solid arms. I mean, they're, they're better than people think, but I think that Indy and, and Henry Davis will get their, uh, they'll get their at bats. Love it. Good call there. Um, so the Texas Rangers made a, uh, a little signing add to their bullpen. They add Mr. Kirby Yates on a one-year deal. What's your thoughts on this in terms of, you know, I think they're, I think they were the best spot to, for possibly Josh Reader. And I understand maybe the need to not have to spend money because they just won the World Series. But, um, you know, what is your thoughts about the pen now you think they're still going to add and I, you know, how do you feel about LeClerc? You think Yates is a legit threat to um, his job? I think um, if they don't add any other players, I think you've certainly got to give the big advantage to LeClerc. Um, There was a nice mining the news note that he just didn't feel right all season. Yep. And then, and then towards, you know, the playoffs, he turned back on. I know he was one of your kind of guys and uh, that pick looked great at the end of the year when he was finally right. That's the thing. We can't tell when these players are feeling themselves and when they're not, and it's a game of inches. So if, if a player is not uh, right, it, it can show up in a bad way. Um, so I think heading into the year, I think Leclerc would have that job. Um, I think that with their payroll being so big, I'm not sure if they would get hater, but I certainly could see if they're aggressive enough. They've gone after big names. They spent a lot of money and spent even more getting uh, Max Scherzer and, and trading for Jordan Montgomery to, to win the World Series. So uh, mm-hmm. I think as of right now, I would I would lean. They probably don't make any more moves, but you never know. This is an aggressive organization. Yes, yeah, definitely an aggressive organization. Um, let's see what happens. Right now, LeClerc is one of the most polarizing players for me because I've always – a thing for him to help me <laughs> he helped me when he he helped me win a you know like one of my first uh, big leagues years ago he only had that fantastic season when he first pulled on the scene and last year you know i was feeling good about him and obviously just didn't perform as well as the rangers wanted him to but in second half made some really big strides you know uh Started off with the pitch mix stuff, dropped the four seamer, you know, down or a little bit over ten percent, and spread it around over to uh, his cutter and his slider, and um, the results were good. You know, seventeen percent swing and strike rate in the second half, and a twenty point eight K to walk in the second half, which is really good. Um, and he looked like the pitcher that we wanted him to be. And then in the playoffs too, he you know he 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 got the nod and had the uh, you know, gets the nod over Chapman. I know Chapman's not great, but just the fact that he's getting it over this, you know, like Hall of Fame caliber reliever, uh, mm-hmm. you know, that still throw still had a hundred strikeouts last year. Hundred strikeouts. <laughs> hundred strikeouts from like for a reliever. So it, it was pretty impressive in that right. So um I still like LeClerc. I don't know. I think Yates is just a part of them adding uh to you know, just they needed Relievers. I think Yates had a pretty good season last year, considering, you know, he was still battling back on it from the injuries that he had. Um, you know, five saves, nine holds last year with the Braves. Pretty high strand rate of 85%. So, um, you know, mm-hmm. 
some little pullback there possibly showed a Sierra 3.9k to walk of 17%. So pretty good season in its own right. Got back to, um, but in terms of like swing and miss and in and zone contact, I still feel like Leclerc is the better guy there. So, um, but I definitely an interesting DC stab for Yates, but undoubtedly his, his ADP will, um, you know, take, take a, he's a sixth, 6-11 now, so that's no doubt about to go up. Um, and a shout-out to Fish, who took Yates in our last Fast Gladiator, saying, like, um, hoping he gets the shot to close. So that would be pretty yeah. good for Mr. Fish if he lands that uh, kind of pick. <laughs> um, all right, so last thing here real quick. Uh, Eric Fetty signed with Washington, uh, not Washington, Chicago White Sox for two years, 15 mil. Um Lots to be made about him not being great here in the state. Uh, goes overseas, is dominant, and he's heading back. Um, I liked how uh, the White Sox, you know, have uh, Brian Bannister there now is like kind of overlooking everything for their pitching organization, working hand in hand with Cat. This explained to like give Cat a little bit more, uh, less on his plate, so more he could work one on one with these pitchers, and they they both. Uh, kind of expressed the um the fact that he trained um at the same place with Logan Webb. Um uh, mm -hmm. that was the tweet that I found. Um yeah, he worked at the same facility as Logan Webb in the offseason. He added the same sweeper plus split chain to his arsenal as Webb. Um and he did not use these pitches in Washington. So how would he you know, it's a tough when he goes to, you know, there's already question marks around how good he actually is now compared to when he left. And then now you have to deal with the fact that the win chances for him. Uh, and and obviously, we're not talking about a player that, you know, we're going to be reaching for in the higher rounds. But um, him, too, undoubtedly, like his his stock is going to rise up. So what's your like, where do you feel comfortable drafting Eric Fetty right now with the last 10 draft at um, ADP 550. So I, I'm guessing he goes into like the 450 range. Are you, are you confident enough to throw a dart at him around there? Oof, around 450. Ooh, ooh. That, that still feels kind of like there's some good arms available there. Mm -hmm. Um, I don't know. Probably not for me. It's okay. he's just one of those guys where I've, I've seen enough blow ups over the years and, you know, it's he's going to be one of those guys in spring training is going to potentially freaking fly up if he has a monster spring training uh, really high potentially. So we'll see. I know that when when uh, news notes come out like this, a lot of the times guys get pushed up like crazy or if a player is selected high in the rule five draft, their names in the news. When we have a slow winner, people want to push him up. So maybe if. Uh, He's forgotten about a little bit as the offseason moves on. I would I would potentially go for it, but he's just mm -hmm. kind of a mystery box to me at this point. And there's players I like better in that range. Yep, uh, I I kind of agree with the mystery box thing. Uh, more, I'm much more inclined to uh, you know maybe take a chance uh, in, in even in the online championship and you know tw like the last round you just take a yeah. picture that you most likely are going to cut anyway and just see if he's got anything. A little bit electric. Um, Jared Kelnick, man, what's your what's your thoughts here? It's it's in one way it it's funny. I think people are maybe giving the Braves a little bit too much credit for being this team that fixes batters. You know, it's just they've obviously know how to um, you know 
get the most out of their young talent that they've had. But you think it's like an automatic? He's going to the Braves and he's just going to become the guy he's always meant to be? Um, you know, it's funny. The the big reaction to that uh, trade and people people thinking about how Seattle got destroyed in this trade and how Kelnick's going to all of a sudden hit 40 bombs and in Atlanta. And there was just so much hype around him. It was like people didn't notice all the poor plate appearances that he had prior. So uh, for me, I think he's going to have a lot of helium move up a good amount in the draft um, with the park upgrade and the team upgrade to Atlanta. Um, Yeah, he does have some solid hard hit data, but as far as just the fly ball rate, just I need to see a nice change there, and he's certainly going to be platoon. So he's just not a player that I'm going to be interested in paying probably a top 200, top 150 pick for him. Yeah, I wasn't in at 250 or 230. Me neither. <laughs> I'm, I, I'm not going there now. Just just because Braves, you know, I don't believe in that. I mean, their team is unbelievable. Um, sure, yeah, he doesn't have to be the. I've heard this. Uh, he doesn't have to be their fifth best hitter, but now he just has to be their eighth best hitter. So what does that have to do with anything? Um, <laughs> how did that make you better? Because what you feel now, less pressure. Uh, he should be pressuring himself to be better. <laughs> Why should you want less pressure? Uh, you know, just, I don't know. It's just, I looked across and it just saw so many months of of his career in that like 500, high five, Low six OPS range, and it's just not enough, you know, not enough good stuff from him. But I mean, listen, he's a young kid, can figure it out. Hopefully, he stops kicking fucking coolers like a big meatball <laughs> move. And, and you know, that's uh, I don't know, let's see what happens. But I cost wise, I'm not, I'm not in on it. Like you said, hard hit that sure. Um, it's not going to play versus lefties, even if he just mi- mimics what Eddie Rosario did output wise, like, uh, you know, plate appearance wise, maybe he can get to what Eddie Rosario did 20 homers. Um, but still, I, I don't, I don't know. There's so much uncertainty for him in my, in my head. <laughs> I, I just, yeah, I think someone's going to be, be, they just be so aggressive every draft too with him. So I'm not even entertaining it, you know? I thought it, I thought it was interesting how much money Seattle was able to unload by getting rid of Kelnick. Um, I looked at it, it was about 12.25 million bucks for Marco Gonzalez, and it was another $15 million for Evan White. I don't know how much is deferred or, or you know, balanced out by the teams, but $27 million of basically super dead money. I mean, that's that's a risk to take to just have a chance with Kelnick, so... We'll see what Seattle does with that freed up money. Maybe they don't do anything that would infuriate me a little bit, but uh, that's a gamble by Atlanta to just take on almost $30 million of uh, dead money for this kid. All righty, folks, if that MLB hot stove's giving you that draft itch right now, you can grab your rally cap, get back into the action on Underdog Fantasy, the easiest place to play fantasy baseball. Right now, Underdog has an MLB best ball called the Bullpen, where you can draft a team for the upcoming 2024 MLB season. It's a best ball format, so all you got to do is join the Bullpen, draft your team, that's it. No waivers, no trades, no in-season management. You draft 20 players, and you get the best cumulative scores in your starting lineup. Each week of the regular season, three pitchers, three infielders, three outfielders, and one flex. Getting started is very simple. You go to underdogfantasy.com. 
Sign up with the promo code POLLHITTER and Underdog doubles your initial deposit up to 100 bucks. The bullpen has $75,000 in total prizes and it's only 5 bucks to enter. So what are you waiting for? Get in there right now. UnderdogFantasy.com, promo code POLLHITTER and get that first deposit double so you can draft with me in the bullpen today. Must be 18 or over, 19 or over in Alabama, Nebraska, 21 or older in Massachusetts and Arizona, and present in a state where underdog fantasy operates. Terms may apply if you're concerned with your play, call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit www.ncpgambling.org. In Arizona, call 1-800-NEXT-STEP. In New York, call 1-877-8-HOPE-NY. In Tennessee, call 1-800-889-9789. All right, so... I teased it before, but you won the online auction championship on the NFBC, the OLAC, otherwise known as the OLAC. Um, you had a pretty good season this year. Aside from that, you won 35% of your leagues, um, came fourth place in your main. So let's talk a little bit about the OLAC overall win. Um, this is it's always good. To, well, just, just in general first, like how did it feel um, to really take that home, you know, and understand at the end of the season that you beat everybody in this format 844 players well it felt crazy it's felt <laughs> surreal for a long time it still feels crazy to hear so yeah yeah i'm not the kind of guy who you know thinks oh you know i'm gonna go for the overall or i'm gonna draft for the overall and obviously i try to keep a balanced team to to keep that in mind but it just feels surreal i guess that's awesome. I mean, it's like who's who's to know if you you know if we ever get there again. That's the thing, you know. So right. it's, it's, it's something it's something you should savor. It's not um, it's not something that should ever be devalued by anybody. You know, this is it's a huge accomplishment. So um, I congratulate you for that because I know you you bust your ass and you have good process. You're always looking to learn. And I think which is the best trait you can have in this crazy hobby is to um, to avoid being so narrow minded and to always want to absorb information. And if you, you know, you filter through it and you're like, nah, I don't like this or no, nah, I don't have to use this. This is not going to make get me better. And then you process the stuff that does. But I know you're you're the type to absorb as much as you can and really filter through what what can make you better. And I think it showed this year in your league, you know. No, man, I appreciate that. I that's I don't have any sort of mastery skills like uh, certain fantasy baseball geniuses, but I, I try to be as well-rounded as I can, and I try to learn as much as I can. Um, you know, no one person has all the answers, but I think if you listen to not too many, you don't want to uh, overcomplicate the message, but I think you can listen to a lot of different people and pick up a lot of different tactics. Yep, yep, yeah, and it's definitely... I'm the, I'm right there with you. I, I don't I don't have a model, you know. I don't I don't like I'm not a an Excel wizard by any stretch of the imagination. Um, but what I lack in that, I, I'm gonna out hustle everyone in time yes. and effort, you know. And I think that's yes, you do. That that's just the way it is, you know. I'm I'm gonna be. Uh, I was gonna try to put a. a I was gonna try to go put a, a good. Uh, basketball player reference out there for you with that but um we had enough of the basketball reference for the show but <laughs> so so what were your thought coming was this your first i know you've had extensive auction um 
history aside from the NFBC, but was this your first OLAC? Um, so I actually did the OLAC in 2022. Okay. Um, played in that league with Zach Waxman, and my auction coming out of the table was just needed work. Um, I tried to fix some of those issues in season and was able to get myself tied for third place on the last, on the, uh, after the season was over. And then, uh, similar to you had a, uh, point correction slip me to fourth place, which was not that big a deal. Cause it's not that much money, but it was just kind of watching it happen sucked, but yeah. <laughs> oh man. It, it, it's tough when you walk out of an, like, I've done some auctions, home leagues and my keeper leagues where in the mid, in, in the draft, I'm like, fuck, what did I do? You know, or, or you know, cause you can, you can recognize it real quickly. And I think you should recognize real quickly what's happening. That's the biggest thing about the auction. You have to be aware of what is going on with your team and with everybody else and with the money available. And it's hard. It, it's a lot of things to keep in your brain, you know, yeah. it's exhausting, like doing a live one for the first time in, in New York. Um, I mean, I, 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 I was a proxy for Phil, but I didn't, um, have to spend my own energy, my own head. And this year it was like, Whoa, man, that was, there's so many things you're trying to track and keep and keep an eye on. And, um, it's, it's, it's a lot, you know, but, um, so talk to me about a little bit about your build and stuff. Like what's your goal coming into this draft? How are you going to build your team batter pitcher split? Let's start with the batter pitcher split. Yeah. So, um, I did two of the OLACs this year and kind of listening to one of your ideas that you had put out there previously. I had built up three or four different builds just using Excel and the AAV data thinking, here's my JTR build, uh, you know, here's my hitting heavy build with, um, you know, a JRAM for third base premium player, you know, here's my Garrett Cole build just so once the dollar started flying in my first OLAC, I kind of had a model to follow. Um, and in the first one, I actually, um, went much more of a hitting build and skimped out on the pitching. Uh, but then mm. the second OLAC that I did, um, I went with $146 on hitting and 115 bucks on arms. So that actually is a very aggressive pitching uh, split with a 56 44 split. And that was the one that took down the overall. Boom. That's a good practice too, going through different, types of teams, right, that you can have. And I think that's what's so much fun about the auction because you can lay out your snake draft however what you want. Like, oh, this this is what I want, round one through five, one through ten. And then you can give yourself options, you know. These are the five guys I like here. These are five guys I like here. But in the auction, you can legit just do anything you plan to do. <laughs> and it's so it's, it's so much fun, you know. I think that's, and I'm surprised that more people don't do it. You know, the live ones in Vegas, the OLACs. I'm surprised it's not more, um, a more invested in format. You know, it's so much fun. I, I've had so much hesitancy with it from people because they don't know how to, you know. Oh, I don't know what to do. With my evaluations. How do you turn this to this? Just fucking do it. 
Just do it. Just, That's the just best way do to do it. it. Just do it and you'll learn. You spend so much time on fantasy anyway, you have to have a semblance of an idea of how to do it. And then just jump in the ring, do a draft, and and then they and then you step back and you learn from that, you know? Um I feel I like the uh, I feel like the auctions really help out um other other formats I play because I just kind of think about round values as dollar values and you know this year catchers are going much later but you know when you had a prime gt real mudo and you took him on the wheel if he made it there you wouldn't have to invest as much in your other catchers because you already expended a huge resource there so you can really translate both back and forth and that'll help out both of your strategies for both formats yep i'm a big fan of the split between my batters and pitchers um but then i actually might have something within that you know like sometimes people do do spread the wealth or stars and scrubs like all across the board i like to sometimes approach an auction with one or the other and one of my um higher stakes auction leagues this year i i went i went um like like heavy stars and scrubs on offense and i spread the risk on pitching where mm. you know it was like a lot of eight to ten dollar starters on top of one maybe twenty five dollar starter but it was the rest of my guys were all in that eight to ten range but getting more of them right try to right. get more of those kind of starters um do you kind of approach anything in that range in in a specific way or do you just like you said like you break down who you want to spend up top and then however everything else falls in line so be it um i did more of a breakdown like you were saying um one of the big colossal sins that i did in the in the first year of my olac experience 2022 i bought three guys for 45 dollars or more which was a mistake Ooh, but that's fun right it was fun hey listen i got my money's worth because even though i didn't cash it was a hell of a time but um no this year i went with and we were talking all winter last year how the hell is garrett cole 35 bucks yeah, you can get Garrett Cole for less than forty dollars. I mean, wow! So that was my plan going into it: get myself a first-round player in Garrett Cole for less than first-round price, and then I grabbed Devers, who, you know, Rafael Devers is just as safe as it gets. So I thought him for around thirty, thirty-two bucks was a huge bargain, uh, and then I grabbed Bo Bichette as well for about thirty-four dollars, and I thought he was another high-floor player. Didn't quite uh, give you exactly what you wanted, but you didn't get burned too bad. So I went with three top 20 players um, and I didn't have to spend that huge ass premium. So I was still able to spread the money around in different spots. Yep. I, um, my biggest mistake on my one team, my one auction team this year was um, I was going to go to 30 bucks for one batter and it ended up being Vlad over bets. And not that I said that, you know, bets would have like won me the league or anything, but, um, you know, one decision like that can really make Stay or break your team. Yeah. Um, but, you know, one thing I know I heard you talk about on James Anderson's pod is kind of something that I really tried to work to do after hearing, you know, Brody John on, mm-hmm. on, on my pod talk about, you know, how, and I mean, it's not nothing new. I mean, you hear about working backwards, but you know, when he clearly was going through his process of going, like making sure you have several $1 targets 
for the end game and either broken down by position or by asset, right? By power guy, yeah. by speed guy. And man, you better believe I spent really <laughs> a lot of time and having a nice little box in my Excel sheet that was just like, here is my, it was highlighted, bolded, boxed, everything. And it was like, this is my $1 area. <laughs> <laughs> and I wanted to make sure that I knew where to go. Um, with that, you know, because there's also to that thing at the end of the game where it starts to become several games within several games, but trying to look at what other guys have, right? Because oh, if, yeah. some, if someone has the ability to go to two bucks, you never know who they're going to go that two with, especially when now it's kind of like everyone has been waiting for their players. So you have to be really careful. Should I wait until it's my turn? Should I do this? Should I? And you really have to be paying attention. Again, going back to having your eyes and ears everywhere at the draft, um, it, it it's really, it's really a lot. So th I know you uh, approached that end game in a similar fashion. Um, did you have any guys this year that you, that you? that you earmarked for a dollar that you kind of nailed and was there anyone like, all right, that wasn't, not that it matters. I mean, it's a buck, it's a buck, but um, I feel like I wait that whole draft just to get this guy for a buck. When he doesn't pan out, I'm a little disappointed <laughs> as much as I shouldn't be, you know, it's just, it's just a, it's just in my head that way. No, no, that makes a lot of sense. Um, just cause you know, we do our prep all winter long, and and when we think we have this guy figured out and he doesn't deliver, it can be frustrating a little bit. But, um, you know, really, I I did an article on one dollar players with the premise of Brody Johns, and, um, you know, honestly, I was cool going two dollars on some of them, and I I thought for the spirit of the exercise that that would be okay. Um, so I was able to get a two dollar Bryson Stott and a two dollar Spencer Torkelson as the two guys that kind of lifted this team over the edge. Bryson Stott. I mean, <laughs> when in doubt, go Stott. Uh, <laughs> I had some funny stories about Stott too this this season when I went to Philadelphia to watch a game with my brother and my nephew, and um, you know this this lady behind me was like, "I understand that you can be a Met fan, but like Bryson Stott." I'm like, listen. I I seen the kid since he was a baby playing ball, and uh, I liked. <laughs> You're allowed, and I play fantasy. All right, we have to be unbiased to win fucking money. Um, <laughs> but so, um, anybody in Fab this year that you that you hit, and also too, what's your what's your style of um in in the Fab game? Are you, you know? early and often are you saving money or are you always down to you know try to be in for the next rookie pitcher how did you do it this year you know i think a lot of players are going to have a similar answer but i i definitely need to look in the mirror and try to have more planning because and i said this at first pitch arizona to a few buddies over the years but it feels like in the off season time is kind of slowing down a little bit and i can get more of a crystal clear picture but in season when the bullets are flying i need to have a, a stick to my situation a little bit better because it seems like everything's moving so quickly maybe it's because mm -hmm. you have a need that comes up maybe it's because you see other teams getting contributors 
and you want to keep up with the Joneses, but ideally I'm avoiding over $150 spend and hopefully not too much over a hundred very often. I think a lot of the times, and I've heard Toby talk about this, we feel like, you know, this is the guy that we need. This is the guy we need, but realistically you might be better off spending a lot of different bullets that are in the 40, 50, $75 range. Um, and, you know, really there was some streamer or some upside guys that were not big names, but players that I thought might have potential like an Alec Burleson or a David Hensley. And I need mm. to stick to a smaller range, three to $7, kind of like Queens of the stone age threes and sevens is my rule. Yeah, and, uh, nice. you know, cause, cause I, you know, I'd spend 20, 30 bucks on these streamers and, you know, three, six, seven bucks would have gotten the job done. So I need to temper down some of my streamer bids and kind of just stick to my process a little bit better. No, I, I totally love that. I'm totally on board with that. I, it's, it's, it's hard because like you said, we, we spend time, we get invested and, you know, we try not to react to small samples, but we also have to understand that everybody is so up to date too on things and everyone yeah. else is thinking like you are too. So you have to balance that out and you have to be okay. And, and honestly, just, just talking to, uh, like in my group chat a lot with, with Phil and Steve, I, I learned and, and Toby, I learned so much from them because they're way more practical and process minded than me. And I've learned such a ton from understanding that. Right. And, and I do love my gut. I do love going with something that I feel strong about and I'll, I'll never regret it. You know, I'll look back and say, man, that was a poor, you know, attempt to, to get a fab player. Like, did I need like Victor Robles stole, you know, like eight bases. I needed stolen bases. And I was like, boom, like, <laughs> did I need to go 42 for him? No, because the backup was 11, you know, um, shit, man. It just would have been better not bidding. Cause I think he just like broke his back after that and didn't play again. Um, but yeah, totally. It makes so much sense. Uh, to have to realize that, um, if, like you said, if you just get a pool of players and confident, like I'm fine with this range and I'm a little yeah. bit more excited about this guy. So let's make him, like you said, three to seven, anyone else can be a dollar. And I love those. Those are the best weeks, the best weeks when everyone's posting their like ads and drops and I'm looking at mine. I'm like, well, I just got four guys for a dollar and they all probably stink, but I'm excited about it. <laughs> It, it, you know, I've heard, I've heard, uh, I've heard Errol Cohen say, you know, there's a few different ways to, to get an ROI and, you know, mm. a smaller spend is certainly one of those ways. If you get a guy for a few dollars, if you get multiple weeks of decent production, you've already made your money back times 20. Yep. It, it, it's, it's so huge. And, and, you know, I, I think it's one thing it's funny because I think you, you probably, um, agree but you know in in the pull hitter discord which is pretty cool uh I, i'd have to say i think i got the best discord around um because everyone else and in, everyone inside of it makes it the best uh shout out to the whole meatball crew in there but you know i think it's funny like and i think it revolved around the draft champions team that we did but like alex call was always an option and then he'd end up talk and then we'd end up fighting about alex calling like in the fab part you know and be like why did you know it was a battle between it was like the jets and the sharks of like west side story it was like why didn't you like alex call like and then we'll tell you why it was 
these two sides about Alex Carr, but it was so funny. But that explains Fab in 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 a way. It's it's the group that's gonna go for a good skilled player for Monday to Thursday at home, all four games versus terrible pitching. Um, versus the like the group that's like, well, he hasn't done anything with those skills, so why you keep hitting on this player? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But it's so much fun. Those the, those those are the guys that really bring out, I think, the most uh, stuff in my mind. You know, to really because um, you know, you know that math works, that math checks out. But at the same time, you want more. You know. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Um, you know, as far as, as far as fab goes, um, man, your work really helped me win the online overall because without yeah. your, your, without your work, I would never have gotten Tarek Scooble. Um, there we go. All right. Know, just thank you. He had a monster, uh, 2021, I believe. And, or maybe it was a 2022. I need to double check, but he had a flexor issue and mm-hmm. I was worried about the injury risk, but just as far as just reading, reading your content, I never would have gotten him if I wouldn't have read your stuff. And I went heavy on him in multiple leagues and helped take those suckers down. So Beautiful. I just wanted to Beautiful. wanted to uh, put that out there. Ah, awesome. That's great to hear, man. I, I was pretty, you know, adamant from like an early part of the season, right? I think you yes. probably heard me talk about it, you know, with Dom a lot during the week on the fab shows. They're like, all right, you know, everyone's talking about the next big rookie pitcher. But save your money for school ball instead, you know. 100%. And he was great, you know. Um, he was just lights out. I got him in, and it was so funny too because I remember saying, coming into the season, it was my Vinny Pascantino rule was like, you don't have to get this guy you like in every league for a lot of money, <laughs> you know. Um, and, and just because, like, oh, I'm gonna go two twelve across the board, you know, um, make it. You know, one league you go 78, one league you go 200, one league you go 90, you know, like whatever, mix it up. And again, you don't have to get him in every single league. And Scooble was, I did that with him, but I made sure I was, I took my time and did my math with him. And I was like, I'm, I'm getting him in every league. And I got him in every league and I broke my beautiful hey. halfway through the season. Beautiful. Mm. But he was great. He was great this season. Without a doubt. Um, all right, so let's pivot to the main event. How was your experience doing your first main event? Everything it, it was kind of made out to be when when you hear people talk about it. Um, you know, I I had known about the main event since about 2017 or 2018 when I got mm-hmm. really into podcasts, and um, I never dreamed I would be able to play in it, and. I went in with no expectations, even though I'd heard about it just because I didn't want to be let down or have a different feeling compared to what I thought, you know? Yeah. And, uh, you know, I really just kind of went in, like I tried to just treat it kind of like any other draft and just go in with a nice prepared target list. Um, my, my feeling was how shocked I was when certain guys flew up. Dom was in my league and he sniped, uh, Estuary Ruiz around 150, which he had never gone that high in my eyes before. So that was like a holy shit. These guys are just going to get their players and ADP be damned. It doesn't, ADP means nothing in that format. So that was pretty neat to see. And uh, there was guys that slipped really, really far that I thought, wow, I can't believe someone's going to let me get Jeff McNeil at pick 225. Well, there was a reason for that, unfortunately, but no, it was just, uh, (laughs) 
it was just wild just seeing just seeing the draft unfold as far as like my expectations. It it it's really something else, right? I mean, that was my very first experience with it. Um just the feeling of getting punched in the fucking mouth, you know? And I say that for real because it was that feeling. Um and 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 looking back on it too, you know, at the at the time I didn't know. You know who the fuck is Phil Dusso? Who who's Mark Zebra? <laughs> who's Rob? Like I knew Rob Silver because he was you know he's kind of, you know he's been out there and he's he's yeah. written articles. He's I've I've heard him on podcast, but you know like you don't know who these who the who the silent sharks are you know yeah. Uh, and looking back on it, you know it's it, it's funny. I always I talked to him about it. It's like man, it's just crazy. Like. It feels like, well, I, I joined it because, you know, I was like, who is this kid? He never signed up for a main event before. I'm definitely fucking sharking him, you know? <laughs> fucking A. You know, and, and and that's what's funny, too. Just, you know, learning that I was the guy that people targeted, you know, that year. It's funny, you know? And um, <laughs> it's really great to hear that. Uh, it's so funny. But, um, but that but, kind of goes back to your point as far as jumping in. You know, if you're if you're not feeling an auction because you're, you're worried, dude, everyone gets their ass kicked in most things the first time they try it. So cheers. you yeah, got to get cheers. in there and get in, get in there and see what happens. And, and I was just like you, man. It's like, uh, I wrote down these guys. I remember I had my brother, Mike, um, he was on a zoom with me. I was like, I just, and, and, you know, we didn't like, what, what do you want me to help you with? I was like, I just want you to like, keep me sane in case I go crazy, you know, in case I'm <laughs> thinking irrational. And he's like, okay. So had like Lance Lynn and Nick Castellanos pegged down as two guys I would jump. Coming around where I'm like, I'm going to fucking get Lynn at the minimum, you know, mm-hmm. boom. Just like you said, someone else out my anticipated men. And I was like, oh, okay felt a little bit less about myself and I remember being in this place where eventually I just heard my brother going yo you have to make a picture <laughs> you know just so so in shock of what just happened that I was so phased out and then when it happened with Castiano shortly after fuck man it took me so long to really reel myself back and, and it was too late then. It was too late. I was already so off my game. And, you know, obviously see so simple. Be like, oh, you should be able to move past that. But the first time it happens, you know, you don't know. In your home league, no one does that. No one likes going to out jump a guy 30 picks out of nowhere. Um, and it was just something new to me, you know. And I was like, oh, well, well, this is it. This is... um this is real and i loved it about it though you know yeah um, that's why we keep coming back for more if we could yeah, solve this yeah. thing we wouldn't we wouldn't be so locked into it so yeah oh man that's the fucking t-shirt lucas you know <laughs> or like a bumper sticker or something that's just, that's totally true it's all right um all right so you're going into this main you sign up um 
what's the what's it like when you see who's in your league i think it's a big i, I think it's a cool moment honestly um you know when like that anticipation uh of seeing who will fill it out and also too like with the vegas one you know you sign up and there's like a hundred fucking people and you don't know where you're gonna end up you know they're gonna spin you like they're gonna pick it out and, and you're gonna end up on a table you don't know and and I think that's pretty cool, but like, obviously, you know, you got to treat everyone as their as their formidable foe. But like, you know, when you see a certain name pop in there, or you see like a friend or maybe a, a person that you know, what's going through your head? It's I don't know. I think it's like one of those cool moments where you, where that you experience prior to actually doing the draft. No, absolutely. Um, I guess I guess one kind of decent thing that I had going for me is that. Um, I've been doing articles since about 2018. So I've been in, I've been in a mock draft with, you know, a Chris Towers, who's a huge name, you know, you know, for me five, six years ago, or gone up in a, gone up against, you know, Chris, uh, Chris Clegg and, and Eric Cross. So for me, it was a huge shock when I first kind of witnessed that. And then I kind of distilled that in my mind, really, if you just focus on your team, make good, solid picks and just manage your lineup. Just don't worry about who's in the league because yep. there will be tons of guys in there you never heard of that are freaking great. So yeah. that's kind of my mindset, doubt. honestly. Yep. Although I will say when when Dom kept taking my players over and over and fab and in the draft, it was a little frustrating. But, you know, what can you do? He's good. Dom's good, man. Uh, <laughs> really uh, good. Yeah, yeah. I, I'm, I'm very I'm very glad that we just been in a ton of gladiators together, you know? Um, like I'm not gonna. I don't want to see him in a DC room, <laughs> and, and I'm glad he got his out of the way, and he's gonna not go back to DCs for a little bit. That's that that that's fine with me. But that's we're gonna okay team up. Yeah, we're gonna team up actually this year and do a team together. So at least when we awesome. podcast, we can kind of talk about it, and um, that I think be really be, fun to listen to. Yeah, yeah, it'll be a nice, cool little added content. Um. And maybe we could just like actually like scream at each other and uh, on air. It would be kind of fun. Um, so your overall team build in your uh, main, how'd it go? A um, little bit different than the auction, obviously. But what was your intentions and how did it play out? Um, so I actually got a, I got a KDS spot that I was completely okay with because okay. I felt like there was about 18 to 20 first round talents. Um, and I kicked things off with uh, Freddie Freeman and Bobby Witt. So I was thrilled about that. Um, wanted to take extra pitching in this league because I knew that pitching would freaking fly off the board. Mm -hmm. um, I just knew it. And I took three starting pitchers in my first five picks. Uh, so I felt like I was really good on my pitching depth. Um, and then I kept bolstering it all throughout the draft. Um, really this meant that my offense was iffy um, most of the time throughout the years, I had two or three spots on offense where I, I was starting guys that I probably should have been doing better than. Um, but as far as my pitching, it held up pretty decent. Um, I just did not hit on enough um, kind of high, high uh, return guys on my offense. That's what pretty much uh, killed that. And then my pitching just kind of fell apart towards the end of the year too, to have me go to fourth. Mm. Um, so Whit, Whit Freeman, huh? That's a nice start. 
Yeah, it was the mid rounds, and and I really feel like yeah. that's most leagues is the mid rounds, whether you win or lose. It's that's pretty much where your money's made in my mind. Yeah, it really is. It, it's it's, and we're gonna talk about that a little bit with some of the players um, that were going a little later that really swung a lot of leagues. But it's it, it it's totally like. You know, you know you're gonna get what you're gonna get from most of the guys at the top, and yeah. that's why I think one of those, like when we look back and people put so much emphasis on someone being a quote unquote bust or not giving you value, it's a little bit overweighted, I think. Yeah, and it's a little, and it's a little out of context, not completely out of context, but it is a little bit to me out of context because in the grand scheme of things. As long as someone's not a bust in the first couple rounds, you know, all you got to do is not have guys that suck and are terrible. If you just get a decent return and, like you said, you nail those later picks, it doesn't matter with those guys if those guys don't reach their max potential, you know? I don't know. That's just the way I think. No, I completely agree. And just to illustrate your, your point here, um, I heard I heard a lot of people throughout towards the end of the year and heading into 2024 look, they were saying guys like Justin Verlander was a bust. Well, he earned $15. Oh, Max Scherzer was a bust. He earned $14. Those guys, obviously, you know, if you if you obliterated your ratios and you put in a shitbag pitcher, yeah, that'll have hurt you a lot. But I mean, those guys, you didn't totally lose everything with those players. So, yeah, I wouldn't call them a disaster bust or anything. Gotcha. Um, all right, so tell me about, uh, I guess the fabbing in the main, um, it's a little different, I think, than your standard leagues. Um, and like you mentioned before, it's just a lot of players that you may not have, uh, thought would go like in a specific week or when maybe you're looking for two weeks down the road and, uh, you realize that someone did that the week prior. I find like there's a lot of um, really sharp guys, and 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 everyone has their traits that they do right. There is a guy, there's a there is a couple guys in the league that do the two weeks ahead of time pitching move, or the two weeks ahead of time cores feel the the move. Is there's, there's always mm-hmm. someone, and and like that's their thing. That's what they do. I find that too. Those people have traits and they stick to it for like the the whole season long, which makes it interesting but um yeah did you did you learn anything through your uh fab this season being in the main event um obviously there's much more transaction lines than any other leagues i play in except glarf our uh, local uh great lakes league there's Mm -hmm. just as many in there because it's mostly main event type players um but like if you want a guy I've heard Fred Zinke talk about like you just want a competitive bid for like a second place and you'll win that guys from time to time. That's not the way it works in the main event because people are mm. freaking aggressive. I think that's one big takeaway. Um, and like you said, like when you said getting a, a guy a week early, uh, Ellie De La Cruz was, was drafted in our league. And I remember in, in May or so I had thought about scooping him up for a dollar or two and just holding on to him. Well, that week he went for like 12 bucks. So it's like, not only was I not guaranteed comfortable with it, he went for way more than I would have done, which, hey, it turned out to be a pretty good move if he was able to manage it through injuries and all that. But just 
more aggressive, more foresight, and just higher uh, winning bids, it seems like, than my other leagues because these guys are just so aggressive. Yeah. It, it's really – it's such an awesome game, you know? It's – um. <laughs> really love the whole dynamic of how it works and uh, it's just great it's fantastic um i do see you know what i do i i i have your your uh your your main event league pulled up here um from some of the data that i pulled from leagues at the end of the season and i like how your team never really went um below like you know you were consistently over high 80s like throughout the whole season and then ended the season off in a nice little upswing there um do you remember how the and uh, you know i know everyone has their main event story like how stuff sh- shaked out or like you know this this guy popped in the lead at this time of the, or someone wasn't in the lead the whole season and then they just end up in first place on the last day and they win the league <laughs> like this you know it's just amazing when you hear the stories about how it actually happened so anything you know down down the down the stretch in your league that you remember that stood out like as a cool memory or a terrible memory yeah well first off it was a great experience overall um so that was that was awesome i mean win or lose, I'm going to try to take as much as I can out of this experience um, and try to find applicable ways to use it. But Dom had kind of put in the uh, discord and it had been mentioned on Twitter a little bit. You know, there was, this was late August, even September at times, second place to seventh place would be a handful of points. I mean, what other leagues do you see that are like that? I mean, geez. So that was, that was wild. And, you know, I was, I was talking with uh, Kevin Hastings at first pitch Arizona, you know, you have six months of a battle and you're an RBI away from a guy. I mean, we could play this game for two years. Crazy. We we could play this game for two years and have, you know, 300 plus games and we'd still be within a few RBIs. That's how competitive these guys are. And it's why we love it. Yeah. A two-year cumulative contest. Maybe that's something at this time. I'm convinced that. It hey, would Derek. Ever... <laughs> I'm I'm convinced everyone would still have a 254 batting average, yeah. and, and they'd yeah. all be within a few counting stats, and it's just wild. It really boggles my mind when you know I sit there and I uh, really get down into the math, and I'm just saying in my head, okay, oh, there's four teams with near identical whips <laughs> it is absolutely mind-boggling to see some of the i don't know just like you said it's you go, you go through this whole season we're rostering all these different players different draft strategies different fab strategies and all of a sudden it's just four guys you know with 982 runs and how the fuck did this happen <laughs> It's it's, it's really so cool. Um, and yeah, I mean, your league had a lot of guys. It seems like over like eighty like eighty like nineties. You had a lot of guys in the nineties. It seemed like one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, seven guys. Yeah, yeah, seven guys over ninety four. That's that's a pretty nice balance up at the top. Um, it's 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 better than it's. It's better than two two of my mains in my history have had um teams where one oh eight didn't come in the top three. 
and it was so frustrating. Wow. Yeah, yeah. Um, one one year I had one one oh six, and I was in fifth. It it it, it was. I was like, how is this? How's this happening? You know. Um, I've heard of uh, I've just... heard of uh, Scott Jenstead say that he had like. 30 mid 30s in the overall but didn't cash out in his league so it just that's yeah wild you just it's craziness uh, yeah, really total craziness that's that's what you're gonna get um that's fun yeah main event's really cool man i i uh you know i i felt like in the past couple of years i this year i'm gonna be a little more free i think i think i've been really I have to, I truly have to have one team. And I know that's not really a thing, but like going for the overall, but I really have to have a team where I feel like I'm, I'm just really going against the grain or just with, I don't know, something different. You know, I think I got to try a team like that to share. I'm just completely different than how I normally draft and just fly with it without being so scared. You know, I was just listening to a podcast Fucking Brandon Boyd of Incubus is a smart motherfucker, Lucas. Dude, the dude, the dude's got it together. He's, he's, I think it's the psilocybin or something. He's, he's, he's got <clears> clarity. <throat> he's got clarity on his life. And he talked about the, the fear of failure. And I'm bringing this up because it kind of hit me. And he's like, you know, we fail so much in life. And yet we still like act like we're afraid of doing things and that limits our success it limits our creativity it like inhib and it, it it inhibits bad traits because you're not free because you're gonna fail regardless on a lot of things you know and he explained it with his music like there's 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 albums that our fans hate <laughs> and like i made it and i have to live with that you know mm. he's like but if i'm scared of doing it that that next time i'll never be creative enough to to you know to do it again and and i took point. it yeah and i and i took it into fantasy and i'm like this is so right it it's like in that you get so in your head with i can't take this guy here it's like too early you know or you know these 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 little things we built into our brains that uh, that is a reason or not a reason to draft a player, and I think sometimes they may just be overworked into our brains. You know, we we maybe may think too hard about it, and so I'm just it's just an attitude change. It's a it's an approach change. It's just something that came up today when I was well not today, so several weeks ago I was listening to a podcast, and I'm gonna incorporate that. It's gonna be my 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 motto the whole drafting season um that's awesome that's great let's pivot that's a, great a little philosophy. bit yeah yeah let's pivot a little bit to dc's right now um where 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 do you think late resources last year were were like the best the best resources to grab late um or is it just all roster dependent for you because I feel like now, especially there's going to be a lot of looks at rookies and prospects, you know, late, but, um, talking about some of the players that you may have nailed late last year and maybe why you targeted them and what's that archetype of player that you're usually going for in the later rounds. Yeah. Um, so I can just kind of talk about some of my late round hits yeah. and I can talk about why I got there. 
I think that'll be very instructive. Um, so two guys that weren't like game changers, but were nice, helpful arms was Brian Abreu and Matt Brash. Mm-hmm. The process was very simple on those. Those guys had amazing stuff and had electric strikeout rates. So you can just plug them in and just kind of chip away at your ratios. Um, unfortunately, those guys are going in the top 23, top 25 rounds this year. So you have to pay a, a nice premium. So I'm kind of looking for the next version of those players for next year. Nice. Nice. Yeah. It's a great. Um... Oh, look at this. Breaking news. The Yankees are getting Alex Verdugo. Wow. Waiting with, oh, Greg Weissert, huh? There's a, there's a reliever recon guy. Uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> um, Alex Verdugo to the Yankees. They traded within within their rivalry. Wow. That's impressive. I, I mean, I, uh, hey, listen, uh, I think I think I got a Verdugo already in a DC. Let's go, baby. <laughs> there you go. Yeah, I, I have a, I have one share of him too, and I think that's a nice upgrade. Yeah, yeah he he's still gonna be the same guy he always is, which is not a bad player. Uh, nothing, nothing bad about Verdugo. He's 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 the old vanilla, boring but beautiful type of um, player, especially for a DC. Um, yes, especially for a DC. Yeah. But yeah, back end draft champion picks are my favorite. It's um, the best part of the draft. And but although I gotta admit, my you know Randy Haynes is is really it resonated with me what he's been talking about with not spending so much time on these guys for draft champions and and spending his brain energy on just focusing on the fab guys for the for the season. You know because yeah. we spend a lot of time with that back end of the pool. Um, but I guess it's different too. If you also play dynasty and stuff like that, you're kind of already in that glut of players anyway, but yes, I know it's hard, but do you kind of work back with it all on the draft champions, like knowing your late targets and, and avoiding players either of the same position or same ilk earlier, or is that something that you just, that's not, you know, good to do, I guess, if you're approaching a draft champions. Um, for me, I work backwards all the time in all my formats, nice. really. Nice. Um, like, for example, first base is a position where there's there was guys in my first draft that I wanted to take. Um, you know, a Justin Turner, uh, a Ty France, and unfortunately, I had filled up my corner infield too early to do that. So that was kind of a good learning experience in my very first draft. Um, as far as, like, shortstop, I think that obviously there's a lot of great players at shortstop, but there's a certain cliff. And when it hits that cliff, you don't want to be on the other side without decent depth. So mm-hmm. I really just try to kind of focus on the shapes of the different positions. Um, try to go ahead and, and stock up uh, at the positions where I think there's a nice cliff, co- a bad cliff coming. And then just kind of work backwards to, to load up in the positions where I think there is more depth and more opportunity. I love it. Yep, it's a nice solid approach to have. What's your usual um, pitcher hitter split? Is that something that changes from year to year? Are you fluid with it? I've become more fluid with it, and I've adapted to I think not only my strengths but what everybody else seems to be doing around me. Um, as far as as far as the split goes, um, I did my post mortems on on my DCs, and uh, the majority of them were twenty six uh, bats and twenty four arms. 
Okay. Um, I know I've heard you kind of say that, you know, you loaded up with a ton of just good, reliable, uh, usable arms, and then you took a few more bats. I think that's perfectly fine. I think sometimes, uh, and, you know, I've done this too. I think sometimes we get too rigid and we need to just be like, hey, there's some interesting hitting flyers here. And, you know, I already feel good about my pitching. Let's take 20, 27, 28 hitters. So I think there's some good fluidity there. Uh, but I'm usually 26, 24, and it's not even like on purpose. It just is usually where I come to. Gotcha. Yeah, I think I, I was a little more toward that 27, 23 area. Now I'm more inclined to even try to stretch it to 28, 22 if I can. It depends what's up top. If I got it, like guys I feel comfortable like comfortable with up top if I did go pocket aces or if I did go three starting pitchers in the first seven eight rounds then I somehow feel you know sometimes you'll feel like you have to take less uh, shot that innings pitch or some if you went to early closers then there's less specs you have to take right so there's definitely some some uh some things that you could do with who you take up at the top of the draft and um in a draft where a guy took oh, six catches. And um, <laughs> nah, it is what it is, man. Listen, listen I, I'm not going to knock it. He's he probably going to win the league, but it's not something I would do. I mean, you know, true. it's just it's too many options. But, um, you know, there, is there anything you found? I think someone put in the Discord, someone took 17 outfields on a team too, which is another... Another wow. crazy, crazy thing to see. Um, are you tracking this as you go? Like, is it something that you really just keep an eye on throughout the draft? Or more so at some time at the end of the draft? You're like, ah, you know, maybe I should take a look at this. It, it's one of those things where, um, as far as my split goes, I try to keep a reasonable eye on it until about round 30, maybe round 35. And then around round 30, round 35, I'm like, okay, I've only got, you know, five middle infielders i've only got you know eight outfielders i need you know three or four more outfielders or i need two more middle infielders i really i don't want to just make a pick to to qualify a, a formula uh, i don't want to have that feeling in the middle of the draft but towards the last you know 15 20 rounds i will i will certainly make sure i try to uh, get exactly what uh, the doctor ordered nice take your medicine <laughs> As our boy Dom says, yes. um, yep, absolutely. So do you, do you do fifties as well or just draft champions? Um, you know, I did, a, I did two fifties last year. Um, okay. and I, I'm not going to be doing them again and they're a good format, but I just have so many good choices for my lineups. It just takes too long. Ah, oh, I love that. I, I, that's a, that, that's one of the reasons why I stopped too. And, and, <laughs> Oh man, it's I'm I'm so glad you said that because it. I mean, I didn't play in any last year. Two years ago, I uh, had a team that placed sixth in the overall, and then I'm like, you know what? I'm not doing this contest anymore because it was just like you said, it was way too many decisions, and uh, I feel like the time put in for like you know the cost of the league just wasn't really yeah. worth it, um, and. Yeah, man, so many fucking decisions. It's not like an online championship where you might even have, you know, a couple extra outfielders or a DC because so many people get hurt or 
the talent is not, you know, your your eleventh outfielder is is like your, you know, what what your fifth would be on a fifteen team or he's a sixth. <laughs> it's so different. Um, so glad you said that. It's so. What was your biggest? If you had to give anyone advice, like what's your biggest uh, thing you have to watch out for if you're doing both an uh, a fifty and a DC. Yeah, I, I got two. I got two responses on this one. I'll give you the first one because nice. it's most simple. It's a very simple response. I, I think from the way that I learned DCs, I was kind of told that like, and like from round thirty-five to round fifty, there's really not hardly any full-time bats. Uh, that can be true, but I think there's also there's also some bats to mine there. So I think that point was overstated. And a fifty, yeah. no matter what round you're in you can find a bat that's interesting. You can find an arm that's interesting. The player pool is not picked as good. Uh, there's just not as deep. So you can find a bat in any round in a 50 is one thing I'll say. Um, if you have any reaction to that, go ahead. No, I I, I like that. I, I think that to, to kind of build on that, there's never a point where you should feel that Oh man, if I don't grab this yeah, third third baseman, <laughs> I'm never going to get one, you know? So just take, because sometimes in a DC, you'll you'll forego maybe several better players because True. you'll be like if I don't get this second third baseman now, you know, um then you got to worry about a, a third one too, but like there might be a point where you know you're fucked. <laughs> and like you're that's not gonna DC have life. Yeah, that's the DC life. So you're foregoing several better players just to fill a spot because nothing it doesn't help you when you have seven amazing outfielders to choose from, but you have no third baseman that week and it's fucking Luis Urias in the minors <laughs> for you. You know, no, but I'm serious because that's that's oh, yeah. that's what can happen. Um, and then that, and that also happens too, if you have too much faith in a player like Luis Urias and you have him on several teams because you're like, ah, you know, I think he's good as my second guy and I won't have to pick a third guy for a while. Plus he's multi-eligible and, uh, just a Luis Urias rant. Um, but yeah, no, I think that's, that, that's really, really the biggest thing from DC's to 50. So, um, as as far as uh, the other thing, I wanted to chime in and get your your reaction on the other yeah. difference. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Please. For me, and again, if if this is a theme that is used, it's not as powerful. But in the fifties, for me, what helped me when uh, one of my fifties last year was buying up shitloads of high end elite starting pitchers. Um, I had four horsemen with Corbin Burns, Luis Castillo, Kevin Gosman, and Julio Urias till he went away. And then I had two elite closers with Doval and Duran. And I feel like that just wiped out people in pitching. And there mm. were still enough solid hitters where it's no big deal if you invest a ton in pitching. Um, and I really feel like that also helps you avoid using like iffy ratio guys like, uh, you know, a Tanner Hawk or, or a Lance Lynn when he fell off the rails. And it also helps you avoid having those two closers with the job, it helps you avoid like a Pierce Johnson or a Dylan Floro. So I mm, think high investment absolutely. in the pitching is good because you'll always be able to find bats in this format. Even if they're not the sexiest, you can get utility. 1000%. And that's the team that I finished sixth overall with. Um, 
um, I was uh, and I was short because I had no saves. I literally had four hundred save points out of the thirty nine hundred that was available. Uh, <laughs> it's just I went with the late spec route, which in 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 theory happened because I wanted to go pitching heavy, but it ended up being that the way I started my draft, I think I had the opportunity. I think I had Cole and Degrom, and I just kept hammering all these sexy starting pitches because they kept falling in my draft. I had Wheeler, Darvish, and Cease. It was just, wow. And I'm like, I'm just going to keep taking these guys. But I was like, I'll just spec later. Uh, but I never got the saves. It was Floro. It was like Lou Trevino. It was just a bad route to go um, with those save guys. But I totally agree with you. You can start off five or six starters at your first 10 picks and then fucking pound hitting Yes. Um, and I love that approach, honestly. You, you, and you look, you look at live scoring and you see other guys' rosters and you see the pitchers they're having to put in there. And it's just like, I'm glad I have, yes. you know, an all-star staff. That's, Without that's really what, what does it for me, honestly, too. Right. I mean, it's good. It's good, you know, to have Patrick Corbin as your last pitcher, cause you know, he's always going to make a start. So if you need innings, he's there. But the goal is to not have to use him. Yes. <laughs> That's the thing. <laughs> but so right now, if you were, um, are you spending for draft champions, you spend more time researching later picks or earlier picks? Uh, yeah, we, we kind of touched upon this a little yeah. bit. Um, it's more the mid and late rounds yeah. where I think you can get a, a bigger ROI. Uh, okay. And early on, kind of a boring but beautiful approach. I'm really just trying to look to avoid the landmines. Okay. Yeah. No, that makes sense. I like that. Um, what about free agents right now who in in MLB, you know, guys like Carlos Santana, um, you know, do you kind of shy away from those guys until you have a more concrete look about, you know, I know it's obviously changed within each free agent, but for more of the fringe guys, are you scared until they get to a place? No, I'm not scared for the big guys um, or for the, for the fringe guys, excuse me. Um, I was going to say for some of the bigger guys like a Bellinger or an Otani, obviously there's, there's absolutely no discount, but for more of the Candelarios and the Carlos Santana's um, and the Ahmed Rosario's, it does feel like there's a huge discount. And nine yep. times out of ten, they're going to move up once they find their landing spot, unless it's a, a very negative outlier, like a course for a pitcher or maybe a San Francisco for a power bat. Ahmed could be, yeah. I mean, I know he didn't have a great season. He failed me um, miserably. I was heavily invested in him, but he's going at a spot right now where you can definitely get like a 10 homer, 18 stolen base season. Um mm-hmm. With full, let's see if he goes to a place where he gets full PT. He might, he might. Um, one of my favorite things is to look at the players that dropped from last season. You know, Ronda Chandler always calls it extreme regression drafting, where you just simply can approach a draft with taking last year's ADP and this year's and finding the guys who fell the most and just kind of, you know, picking them, not all of them, but picking a lot of them because. Uh, the value of those players most likely hasn't shifted too much, you know, that, that warrants to drop. Yeah. Um, I love, I love that. We're, we're very similar in that process and it's actually one of my biggest strategies in my mind. This is where the psychology of it comes in. People will get burnt one year, 
they don't want to go back to that well, even though it's a fresh new slate. And as far as just some examples, I'm, I'm heavy in on Max Scherzer, Aaron Nola this year on the pitching side. I think those guys are poised for, for better years and you're getting a discount on top of that. Um, and then on the bat side, Willie Adamas and Steven Kwan are, are a couple of regression guys that I like as well. for Better discount. Yeah, man. Yep, 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 yep. I love those. I love those throwouts right there. Um, Adames, I don't think he deserves this fall. Uh, he still crushes the ball really hard. Um, I don't know. It's it's big. I mean, I've gotten him in a in a gladiator past pick two hundred, and I'm just wow. like, what's ha- what's happening? You know. Um, no, no, just think that's a real, real good pack of value for Adamez, um out there right now. Um, all right, so we're going to do, before we hit the Patreon-only section of the podcast, we're going to tease a little bit of, uh, like a little bit of player talk before we get into some ADP battles, which you'll be only able to hear on the Patreon side of the podcast, um, but... Last year, man, there was a pocket of players from ADP 200 to 320 years. There was a ton of guys, but I'm just going to focus on these five players right here. Bryson Stott, who on average in draft champions went at 224. CJ Abrams went 225. Ezekiel Tuvar, 230. Uh, Hassan Kim, 251. Isaac Paredes, 315. Horan is a little bit different of an archetype than those guys, up-the-middle players, shortstop eligible, speed. Um, and then you got Horan was like Kim in a way that three three multi-eligible spots and huge value in that sense. Um, but it's interesting when you look at ADP and how how – how it lays out and sometimes I always feel like this it's a byproduct of not a rank of players values but just the flows of a draft like there's you could look at ADP and say oh this is when people start going for this this is when people start getting this is the last first baseman that you can draft as a starter so they go here you know it's not really like a value thing but more of how people draft their teams um and this year it's uh, the whole pool of available players shifted from being like a speed-heavy group, like the one that I just mentioned, to more of just, I don't know, just a, a wide range of guys. And two years ago, this range in the 200 area was heavy power-driven with the Solaires and the Fran Reyes, you know, like those kind of players, um, Miguel Sano, like <laughs> those, it, and, and it's wild to see how every year has that kind of section where you could look and say, oh, this is where I can get this because this is going there. I don't know. I don't know if you find stuff like that. Uh, uh, but I, I feel like more of the emphasis has been placed on speed earlier that later on now it's kind of a different group of players. No, that's a great observation, and i I think um, I think that's that's very good analysis as far as that goes. So, yeah, I think you said it really well there. Who do you who do you see in this range this year? You like a guy like Jeremy Pena, Ronnie Mauricio? What what's your thoughts on Pena? He he's kind of a little polarizing, right? I mean, you you see where he, he's so tooled up that he could 
um, be such an asset going where he's going right now, past 220 in drafts. But, you know, last year he hit the ball on the ground so much that those tools weren't able to really fully come out, you know, because he just was hitting too many crown balls at one point in the season. And he couldn't lift the ball at all and get into any power. Um. You know, not a big Pena guy per se. I think mm, I think he's more right. of a, I think he's more of an AL only kind of guy for me because he is wow. gonna have that. Wow, uh, here we go. This is what they come into to <laughs> here, Lucas. This is it. Let me hear it. Yeah, it's just you know, the playing time is gonna be secure, but I just there's just enough warts uh in the profile for me from a from a power perspective. Um and just not not much growth elsewhere. It's one of those things where I could see him having a solid season, but there's just so many other options. I, I don't feel like I have to go to this uh, profile. It's kind of my take. I love it. I love it. Um, what about Ronnie Mauricio? Do you, what's your thoughts too on, on that whole situation with him, Beatty? Who do you, who would like to emerge from that? I'd like to hear an outside of uh, outside Met brain thought about this. You know, it's really funny that you uh, put him on the outline because I saw that third base quote that there was going to be a battle with, with those uh, three players, Beatty, Mauricio, um, and uh, Vientos. And I just felt like that was kind of limiting limiting them if that's truly where it's going to be. If, if one of the guys that doesn't make it is going to have to go back to the minors um, because McNeil, one of the reasons he was given that contract is because he can move around. Um but yeah, as far as Mauricio, obviously that's a guy that I think has rookie of the year upside. Um, it's just a matter of, of his swing decisions and, and some of the contact issues. Um, so I'm, I'm really, really excited about Mauricio, but as far as him for a DC, just kind of actively putting him into my starting lineup is tough because that volume is not guaranteed like some of the other players going around him. Yeah, totally, totally agree. hundred percent. Yeah, just overall, and I was so excited about this range last year. Uh, a lot of my drafts were just like, ah, I can't wait to get to this range and just take pound these guys. And it's not, <laughs> I, I haven't found that, like that pack of excitement for this year yet. Like the, it, it's scattered. There's definitely some good pockets, but man, this is, look at all that value we had last year from that. Unbelievable. And, and speed too. You know, that's the thing. It's just, so much game um league changing speed that was available there yeah um, i was i was trying to come up with candidates that could could fit the bill for 2024 uh, as far as risers from this section and it's it's more of a stretch um mm-hmm. it's like you know maybe a zach netto can take a step forward in different areas but for him to reach 20 steals might be challenging because he's not really proven that in the minors but um, there was there was a few guys that I, I think could take a nice step forward in this range. That's music to my ears, Zach Neto. I mean, that's what I that's what. I, hey, there's 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 Whit Merrifield with the second base outfield eligibility. Um, but yeah, just like a totally different profile around here. I feel like with the with your um, Ryan Mountcastles and uh, you know, and you got Michael Garcia, who I guess can be. I don't know. I just thought on Garcia, but he, he could be um, a decent asset there. But then everyone else is just kind of like, um, I guess in this range too, there's a lot of 
I do one thing pretty well, but not other things, you know, so yeah. there's a lot of power hitters, there's a lot of speed only threats, and um, no, no really like guys who are going to, definitely not a lot of average guys around here either. Um, I know that's hard to find that, like, down in the draft anyway, but um, interesting stuff the way it lays out. So, all right, so... Um,